Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Ecos. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. If you're new to the show, welcome. If you're regular, welcome back. I appreciate you guys. If you haven't subscribed yet, hit that subscribe button. At the end of the episode, leave us a review. I know you get tired of hearing me, but if I say it enough, maybe you'll do it, right? <laughs> I appreciate you guys. Today's guest's name is Eric G. Reed. Um, he's a success life coach, and he wants to make an impact and help people break through the barriers and become successful in their life. So we get into a great conversation, and uh, we talk about a lot of the different things that hold people back. And, you know, and how important belief is in somebody becoming successful or not. And we unpack a lot of cool things in this episode. Um, and we just had a great conversation. As always, every conversation takes takes up its own thing. And, and this one was a lot of fun. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, yeah. Make sure to check out Eric G. Reed. He has a G in the middle of his name because I think there was a football player that has close to the same name. So he doesn't want to mix up the two. So make sure to check him out and enjoy the episode, everybody. Eric, thanks for joining us today, my friend. It's great to be with you. <laughs> As we were just talking before we hit the record button, uh, you're in Minnesota. I'm in Vancouver, Canada. You guys, um, I, was, I was thinking as soon as I think of Minnesota, I think of, you know, Hockey, because you guys always had such good hockey teams. It's uh... <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because a lot of my U.S. friends go to you know the college football is the thing, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, not so much in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll play hockey and and broom ball and ice fishing, but let's not worry about football. I actually went out there for a hockey tournament when I was ten years old, and yeah, man, it was a great state. I had a lot of fun. Lots it, of nice people. It's, it, it is a good place. I mean, we, we, we are so Canada friendly that when we get Canadian coins, we just <laughs> use them like our own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Well, thank you for coming and joining us. Um, as always, like I'm looking forward to diving into your story and you know, finding out more about you. So why don't you take us back a little bit? Um, you know, I know you're doing success life coaching and all about helping people become better in their lives, but let's take us back, you know, take us back and, and maybe give us a little bit of insight into your life and how you got to where you are today. Oh, let's not go too far back. Um, it's not that long of a show, but I think really the transition began because I had been working in corporate America. I was I was an IT guy. My job was to travel all around the world, set up networks, set up computers, handle SAP, which is an infrastructure programming system. Mm -hmm. And so I was constantly going someplace and doing something. And I thought that was like the image of success. I grew up with a German Lutheran mechanical engineer of a father, mm -hmm. basically very boring, very everything was scripted, no emotions. And so he set a bar of what success should look like really super high. And I always felt like I wasn't getting there. And that finally, maybe this job career thing that I was on might be just enough to impress him, just enough to finally earn that award of good son. And I mean, I'm like in my 30s at this point, still waiting for one of those good on you kind of moments. And um, what I realized was like, I was so completely miserable, but I was giving everything I had to it, like 100% of my life. Mm. My health was in jeopardy. My marriage was in jeopardy. The only thing that was going great was my career. And then one day, this corporation that I worked for, which was based out of Brazil, decided to get up and leave. They just like, you know what? We're leaving the US. We're going to go back to Brazil. Everybody here in the US that doesn't have a work permit, ciao, bye, have a good day. I thought, wait a minute, I had given my entire life to the company and to this idea of what success would be like. And in a moment, they walked out the door and left me with nothing. Mm. And it was in that that I started, fortunately and unfortunately, being unemployed, 
to go like, okay, what do I want my next move to look like? Like, I've got this little bit of a severance pension retirement thing going. What do I want it to look like if nobody was looking? Like if for the first time I wasn't worried what my dad would say. Mm. And that's when I really started to unpack that idea of like, if nobody's looking, what would I be doing? Mm. So what, what did you like about, I mean, so, well, let's, let's, first of all, what is, what is success? Like what, what is your definition of it before and after maybe? So, yeah, (laughs) I I, I think success is, you really have to understand it for yourself. And I was perceiving success as, you know, six figure income, traveling around the world, people being like, oh, you got to go to China, you got to go to Yugoslavia, you got to go to all these places. And, you know, all of this external stuff that everybody could see, that was what I believed was success because that's what my dad who grew up during the war was trained to believe, like, get a good job, stay with a company, rise up the ladder. And when you're 60 years old, they'll give you a watch and tell you to go home. Just follow that path. Mm-hmm. And so that was where I had been sort of programmed to gain my identity as a man. Really is, if you want to be successful as a man, take care of your family, bring in money, shut up and do nothing, but go to work every Monday through Friday and don't complain until they ask you to retire. Then you're a successful guy. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of was like, all right, I want to be that. I want to be that for my dad. I want to be that for the world to say that, wow, look at him. Mm. Um, and it's interesting because in my father's generation, I mean, he grew up during World War II, that idea of having stability and security and predictability was important to him. And he signed up with a company, General Mills, the food people, and he was there for over 35 years. Now he went up through the ranks and did other things, but the idea of leaving the company never really crossed his mind. It's crazy how different things are, how they've, how they've shifted. You know, people would be with this, people would be with the same company for so many years. Yeah. And, um, because that, that was being successful. That security yeah. that, look, I get up and I provide for my family. I bring home the, the bacon as the song goes, everybody has what they want. And, I'm building a nice pension retirement account. And when I turn 65, then I get to retire and then live the life that I want. Mm. Why do you think it's changed? I think there's been a lot of shifts in just economics. Companies are no longer buying into that idea of we need you for 30 years. I think also the rapid change in information and technology when you go to college, by the time you graduate, everything you learned in your freshman year, unless you're an art history major, is pretty much outdated. <laughs> Things yeah. are moving and evolving so quickly that companies need employees that are evolving and adapting as quickly. And then I think for, at least here in the States, when we had the housing meltdown and all of the, you know, the recession kind of stuff eight to 10 years ago, and we watched our parents lose their retirement, lose their savings accounts because of economic conditions, we realized that that idea of storing it away for someday was gonna kill us because anybody from anywhere outside of our control could take all of that. So I think it's, I think it's a little based on economics and also just the evolution of information. Did, it, did you get impacted with the recession? Oddly, at that point, I had transitioned into real estate. Great time to be in real estate, goes the market. Uh. (laughs) But what was great was I was able to adapt and shift, and I ended up working for a lot of the major banks. And so my real estate business was skyrocketing. And I mean, I I, I was crushing it because I was selling all the foreclosures. But I walked up to doors and told people, hey, by the way, your house is in foreclosure. And they would be people that look like my father. And they'd be mm-hmm. like, we've been like this was like this was our last house. This was everything we had built was in this house. Yeah. And then as a follow-up, when it started to recover, I watched a lot of millennials, generation whatevers saying, look, I watched my parents lose everything. I'm not playing that game. I'm not, no, that's not going to work for me. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's crazy because I, in Canada, we didn't feel it like you guys did. 
No, because in part, Canada has a whole different economic system as yeah. it relates to credit cards and home loans. I mean, to buy a home in Canada, you need to put down a substantial chunk yeah. for the bank to back you, where in the U.S., there were people putting nothing down. See, yeah, that, that, was, that, that was happening here too. There, there is a big problem with that at some point. They stopped that now. But I think I, I noticed it in because I was in the hospitality industry, like bars and restaurants, and we depend on the American tourists, right? Yeah. So what was really crazy was that we were always used to the American dollar being way stronger than the Canadian. It is now. But at this point, ours was stronger. It was I a really that. weird time because... It, it, it was good, but it also hurt us in other areas because people didn't want to come here anymore to visit because it's too expensive. They would come here, especially the film industry in Vancouver was huge in Toronto. People weren't coming here because it was too expensive. So it's weird how, you know, it, it, it actually affected us in different ways. Like you would think it would help in certain ways, but. I noticed a lot of Canadians during that period were rushing to Florida to buy condos on the <laughs> yeah. Because you guys were like at 130 to 140 to the U.S. dollars. And it was like, yeah. the housing prices are really low and our dollar is really high. Let's go buy beach houses. But I think more to the overall picture it was those people that could see it and not say, oh, we all got to die. You know, it's just the end of the world. Let's give up. But those people that could say, where's an opportunity in this yeah. for me to use my skills, my talents and my resources to go to the next place that I want to achieve in my life? This is where I'm happy we're going because there's certain people and there's certain things to, that people need to use to get out of this stuff, right? Because we're going to get hit with a punch. We're going to get hit with the adversities, but you're able, some people are able to climb out and some people aren't, right? So what are some of the things that you had to do be, to, to kind of, to understand like, hey, this has happened, but that's okay. It's, it's happened. And now it's time to pivot and go somewhere else. Because a lot I, of people I, would see that as like the end of the world. It's interesting because I think I, when I say the credit goes to my mom in a lot of ways, she was like, so what? Like, whoop de doo Yeah. What are you going to do about it? Like, she was not from the, like the age of probably before I walked. She was like, okay, acknowledge, move on. Acknowledge, move on. And I think that comes from her history. Huh. But I sometimes will get on a coaching call with somebody and they're like, but you don't understand. And they go through this long cry. I'm like, okay, are we done? Mm. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I acknowledge that you're hurting, that you're in a stressful situation, that this was unexpected. Like I acknowledge the current circumstance, but are we planning on being here for long? Cause if so, I need to get a cup of coffee. If not, then let's get an action plan. Mm. And sometimes we surround ourselves with the wrong people that are uh, like supporting of that pity party. Like they're all like, I know, I mean, you really do deserve like, and I'm like, okay, for a season, whether it's five minutes or five weeks, I get it. But you're still, your heart's still beating. You still got obligations and commitments and people. You need yeah. to figure out the next step. Yeah. Yeah. It's people get stuck in the victim mentality, right? And yeah, that's what the, the problem with our society is. It's like it's the normal to sit and bitch and complain about stuff. It's like, oh, well, my life sucks. It sucks going to work. And yeah, I know, right? Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Oh, I hate, I can't wait for Friday. It's like, fuck, man. Like, it's like everybody just feels each other's fire. Well, I think it, there's sort of one thing that always happens is if I acknowledge my life is currently in the toilet but I'm going to be doing this. Yeah. Then everybody around me that's sitting in the toilet with me is like, no, if you can get out of here, then we can get out of here. Yes. And I don't want to start taking the effort to get out of here. So I'd rather convince you here is better mm. or here is where you belong. It's interesting because one of the things that I did at one point was there was this big, long research about communities in the mountains, the Blue Ridge Mountains here in um, South south us like virginia kentucky tennessee and how the cultures have become so isolated over time the mountain folks as they refer to them and it was this whole idea that if you go down out of the mountain to get a better life to live something different you're literally almost not allowed back in hmm. 
And so the, the consequence was, do I lose my family? Do I lose my history? Do I lose everything that I know up until this point to go look for something else? Or do I just stay and give up the dream? And over time, that had what created the economic conditions where poverty is rampant. And you look around, it's like, yeah, but 60 miles down the road, there's a factory that's hiring. Mm. And they just look at you like, I can't go there. My people aren't over there. That's not my, like all of the story. So I like that you, you kind of give them tough love a little bit like, okay, like you've gone through this, but let's, let's move forward. You know, you kind of need to hear that sometimes from people because we, we, of course we want to talk about that and it's okay to acknowledge it, but it's like, all right, but that's enough. You're not, you're not defined by your past. Right. And the narratives we tell ourselves constantly, the stories over and over again, shapes us for the most part. You know, what are, what do you notice about the narratives people tell themselves? What do you notice as like one of the things that holds people back? Like what's one? I, I think people want that experience, as you call it, tough love, or they wouldn't have picked up the phone and called me. And and I have friends that know me on the personal, not the professional side. They always laugh like, yeah, if you're sick, don't call Eric. He's not your bedside man or nurse. He's not really good at that. Like you'll never get sympathy from him. And I think that kind of hurts my feelings in some ways if I had some, but um, (laughs) more to the fact it's like, if you reached out to me, then you know, you want change. You just haven't figured out where to start. And so that tough love is not uninvited. It just might be a little more than they ask sometimes. And so then it's like, okay, granted, this is our current situation. Let's do a quick resource check. Uh, Assume you're getting ready to go on a three-day trip. What's the car? Does it have brakes? Does it have windshield? Does it have gas? Let's do the same with our personal life or our relationship life or our business life, whatever we're going through. What are the current resources that we have in hand? Great, let's go ahead and list them out. Now, who, who needs these resources? Who wants these resources? Who in the past um, paid you for these resources, whether it's in a relationship or some other respect, who has tapped into these resources in the past that you can now go back to and say, I have them available, how can we collaborate in the future? But a lot of people assume, you know, it's that all or nothing mentality. I lost my job, I've got nothing. And I'm like, really? Because I'm looking around your life. And I see a lot of opportunities. I see a lot of resources that you have. Let's start using those and see what happens. Do you find a lot of people lack gratitude? A lot of people don't really, they're so focused on what they don't have and yet they don't realize what they do have. Do you find that an issue? I I think we have lost the idea of what real gratitude is. Mm. We, and I, I blame us coaches, um, for it in part because we say, write your gratitude journal. And so somebody will write, I'm grateful for my spouse. I'm grateful for the dinner we had. And they think they're practicing gratitude. And no, that's just reciting the inventory that you received today. It's like mm. the warehouse incoming. We're shifting your gratitude to, I am grateful for my spouse because they encourage me when I feel fearful. Mm. Now you're telling the universe that you recognize your need, fear, and you recognize the gift that was given, encouragement. Mm. I'm grateful for our home because it provides loving shelter where we as a family can get together and regroup. Mm. When we make that because statement, we're really acknowledging what it is we're grateful for, not the inventory of lists and events that happens, but for the, the thing that it's impacting into us. Totally agree. And that's how I, that's how I've practiced it too, because you could go, I'm grateful for my toothbrush. I'm grateful for the pen. You need, it needs to be more of a feeling. Like you need to feel it. You need to know why you're feeling like it has to be more of an emotional because you, that's the thing with these things. It's, you don't keep them unless your emotions are elevated, right? You don't, they don't stick. Your body doesn't care enough. You're subconscious. Think of it as you're going to a birthday party and you spent like a week searching for the right gift. This is your best buddy. You know exactly what you wanted to get. You spent all day on Amazon or wherever shopping for it. You get it, you wrap it, you show up at their house, you deliver it to them. And it's like, hey, happy birthday. 
and you hand it to them and they say, oh, thank you. And they set it on the coffee table and they go about the birthday. They gave you gratitude for the gift. Your elevation of emotion was like, really? I did all of this to bring this to you and that's all I got was a level one? Uh. Versus they open it and they're like, oh my gosh, it's a hockey stick from the, the World Cup or whatever that was signed by someone. And you can feel the energy that they realize that you connected with one of their purposes or their passions or that you really saw who they were and you delivered based on that. Now that gratitude is like a, a 50,000 level. And you, the gifter, is receiving that feedback, but also the recipient is connecting in a way like, I'm seen. Mm. I mean, I'm seen. I have value. I'm worthy because you took so much time to acknowledge that in me through this gift. Mm. And so that's where I think, as you say, the, the energy shift. But if I turn to my spouse, I'm like, hey, thanks for dinner. That was great. They're getting a one. But if I'm like, oh man, that, you know what? I love the fact that you cooked dinner because I was too lazy, too tired, and too worn out to even think about a can of soup. And you went out and did this. Thank you. Yeah. like, I've been seen. I've yeah. been seen. And now they know how to see other people. Yeah, that rec- getting recognized for things is, is super, super important. And sharing that with people. Like what I, what I, can, what I really enjoy about is like, I'll relate it to sports. You know, when you have a coach that, you know, in hockey, I had a lot of coaches, right? But a lot of the stuff that they recognize is just the surface stuff, surface level stuff. But sometimes, or maybe a good manager that you've worked for, and you work for a lot of good people, a lot of bad people. <laughs> not bad, just not, not, you know, not leaders, just managers. Yeah. That they see these things in you that you, that you do, or these qualities that you have that most don't see and most don't bring out to, out to the surface. Like they'll say, they'll see what you're good at that you may know, but you haven't, you haven't showed, or they'll recognize something you've done really well that nobody else has really talked about. And that to me is super powerful. And I remember over the years of being a manager or a coach as well, it, I feel that, that is super important at being able to see what, see those things. Like, do you, do you see that as valuable as well as kind of being able to like go deeper? And because that is what really elevates somebody is that, that to be recognized for things that aren't usually recognized. It, it's funny because being a coach and doing what I do now, some people will say, oh, you're a psychic. Or like, how did you see? And it's like, it's not that I'm super net. It's that I've become very intentional at listening in between the words mm. to, to like listening for patterns and things at a level that when somebody says something, I'm like, wait a minute, you just said this. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, no, but you chose, your brain is not so absent that the choice of word was accidental that choice was it was subconsciously important yeah and i'm listening to that and you chose i wish versus i want so wish tells me that you don't believe you can achieve it wish tells me it's not within your grasp it requires outside influence mm. versus i want tells me that you believe you can get it you're just missing the tools to go there Ah, yeah. Uh, and things, I mean, there are little things like that, but when we become intentional about wanting to see people, lean into them and hear them, those things pop up really fast. Yeah. Um, and again, the more you do it, the better you get. For sure. So, w- yeah, like what makes a good coach? You know, I've always wondered this because there's, there's lots of coaches out there in <laughs> sports, life coaches, but you know, like what, what is it that makes it? And I, I try and think about it and I feel it's, it's being able to connect with that human on that level that others can't, you know, what, what is your perspective on what makes a good coach? I think the same thing that makes a great coach in hockey can be translated to a good coach in life or business. A good hockey coach knows you need to do the drills because he wants that muscle memory, that thing built into you so hardwired that when the opportunity comes to skate left, your body just does it without having to put the blades in place. 
But he also looks at each player and said, you know what, this guy's my fast guy. This guy just has something that allows him to get off the start quicker. I don't need him as my goalie. Mm. This goalie, this guy that like his particular talent, his skill, his insight allows him to anticipate players different than the other guys. I need him here. So it's seeing that individual and then capturing what they do well and helping them expand it, but never letting go of the idea that we all have fundamentals we got to learn, all have baseline things we got to do. So for me as a coach, there is a lot. I say it's, it's both your mindset, getting this thing right, and this is really programming, just like any computer, and then getting your, your habits right. Like, okay, I don't care how you feel about it. You're going to be doing this every day for the next year. If you're a writer, you're going to be writing for 30 minutes. If you're this, you're going to be doing, like, these are your habits. These are the basic fundamentals you've got to master. And then the hard part is often the belief. Mm. Because so many of us think, well, I've been saying affirmations. Yeah, but have you been believing them? Mm. I've been telling myself or I painted a picture on the wall that I'm going to be, you know, a rock star hockey player and I'm going to, you know, be in the, 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 NHL and everybody's going to have my name on their jersey, but do you believe it? Because if you have this disconnected message between your belief and your mindset, you just zeroed out anything and the habits aren't going to stick because you don't see any value in doing the habits. Mm. And so it is all three. It is that mindset, that belief and those habits. So how do you develop belief? How do, how do people like, you must see this a lot, like and I, I've, I've sat and I thought about this and it just comes down to believing in yourself because if you don't believe, nobody else will either. We're all the same. We're all humans. We all started at the same spot. It's like we all have the same, well, not everybody has the same advantages, but I just mean as a human, you know, you have to believe in yourself. How will anybody else believe in you, you know? So how does, how does somebody that's lacking that get out of that rut? Because it's a tough place to be sometimes. And it sounds easy to say, just believe, you know, yeah. I could bring it from a faith perspective. I could bring it from a Darwinian sense. And some people can be like, you know what, I'm going to do that because they'll see somebody externally that they admire that did it. So then they're like, okay, I'm, if he, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. Some people can make that shift, but often it really is going back to when did you stop believing it? Because when you were three years old, you thought you were Superman and you could yeah. do anything. When did you sort of start to not believe? And why does that person, that thing, that event hold so much value that it has impacted the next 20 or 30 years of your life? And some people might not be able to say, well, when my mother told me this, that's when I knew I was that. But when I listen, I'm like, okay, so I had a client once and he said, I just, I can't be happy until my dad is. I was like, that's a big statement. Mm. Why do you believe that? And he said, well, I just, or he said, and I said, is your dad not happy? He's like, I don't know. And I'm like, so you're basing your entire life and you're going through this cycle of success and failure because you don't want to outperform your dad until your dad is finally happy. And you don't even know if your dad is happy. He's like, well, I've never really asked him. I just assume he's not because this is what his life looks like. I said, why don't you go talk to dad? Mm. He goes back and he's like, my dad is really happy with his life. I thought he would want more, but he's really content. And suddenly he was, a so sometimes we get these false beliefs that left unchallenged dictate our behavior. Mm. And so as a coach, a big part of mine is listening for those belief systems. And then like coming back and like, who told you, like, who told you that? Or where did you decide that was the current status that you're going to live under? And can we challenge it? Hmm. What do you think is the common thing? Is it childhood? Some sort of something that they, some sort of impression that they informed? Or is, do you find a lot of it roots goes back to that? Or I think we're born into other people's beliefs. Hmm. And so when I say it's sometimes generational, it's not that stiff, but somebody will say, you don't understand. I'm this, I'm either based on my genetics, based on my race, based on my culture, based on my socioeconomic background, based on my education, I'm not entitled to this. And I'll say, well, where'd you hear that? And they're like, well, you know, it's just been that way for a long time in my family. I'm like, 
okay, so this is a belief that you adopted because of cultural or family or survival. And we adopt our family's beliefs a lot of times out of survival. I mean, could you imagine at eight going home and telling your dad, like, hey, dad, I think you could accomplish more in your life. I don't think you're doing what you should be doing for us as kids. Why don't you go out? And, you know, you would have been backhanded and uh, probably sent to your room without dinner. So we learn to monitor the belief systems of our family. And then we learn to play within those belief systems for survival. They're feeding and clothing us. And then it transfers to our peer group and it keeps going unless we have somebody that's brave enough to step in and say, you know what, just because it happened to me, it doesn't mean it's going to happen to you. Just because this was my story doesn't mean it's going to be yours. Or unless we have parents and, and siblings and family members who are growing and evolving in their belief systems. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting conversation, this stuff, because mm -hmm. our brains are so, so complex, yet we, we get these, these beliefs in our head about, and doubt and fear, and they just hold us back from so much. Well, remember in the developing mind, conscious and subconscious, there is yeah. no filter up until yeah. the 20s. So that's why you were able to believe that Santa Claus really did come down the chimney. There was no logic filter that said, wait a minute, uh, how does he get down the chimneys? And so your family turns and goes, you know what? You're never going to be a great hockey player. You're too short. There's no logic that says, wait a minute, there was a guy that ended up, you know, playing in the NHL that was only five foot two and was a star. You have no logic filter in place. And so that gets dropped in and everything that's happening is being just dropped in unfiltered. Oh, yeah. And then as you start to go into life, you look around and go, somebody told me this, but now logic, information, new awareness is telling me this. It confirms so I, it. Yeah, either it confirms it or it denies it and you have to make that choice. Yeah, that Santa Claus thing is really, really a good analogy because one day we just believe and then all of a sudden it's like someone's like, you go to school and little Johnny's like, Santa's not real. You're like, what do you mean he's not real? And then you start to get like logic and then you get, and then it, all of a sudden you're like, oh but, yeah, where does that start? But sometimes that little Johnny friend doesn't even have to give you a reason. He can just say it's not true. Yeah. And because you want to be in that community, you want to be with Johnny as your best friend or in his game, you'll be like, all right, Johnny said so. I'm adopting yeah. that as my new belief. And yeah. so we start to pick up. And I get that certain beliefs are not as easy as Santa Claus. But when I look at my own kids and it's like, they kind of go through it in and out. It's like, well, I I don't really believe in Santa Claus, but it wouldn't do me any good to not believe publicly right now because my gifts would be cut in half. So <laughs> even though I might be certain, I'm not going to vocalize that to people around me because it wouldn't be beneficial. Yeah. It's interesting when we're kids, how we don't really care about what people think. We, we, we shoot for the stars, like we were saying earlier, you know, like you think you can be an astronaut. You truly speak what you want to be. There is no filter. You know, why do you think, like, what is the reason? I, I guess it's school. I guess it's teachers. You know, why does that stop? You ever, well, like, and I think a part of it is because of that, as you said, that reaffirming confirmation of a negative belief. So you may say, I want to be an astronaut. And, you know, your dad might be like, oh, that's really great but you know there's never been a Canadian astronaut, which is a mistruth. I know that to be a fact. But uh, I've read, there's a Canadian astronaut's book that I read. Um, but anyhow, um, he might say, you know, there's never been a Canadian astronaut. And you're like, yeah, but I'm going to be the first. And he's like, really, you're going to be the first Canadian astronaut. And that little bit of doubt, and then you looking around going, why don't we talk about astronauts from Canada in school? Why is it always the Americans and the Russians that are the astronauts and never the Canadians or whatever they teach? And suddenly you're like, wait, that's confirmation of what my dad said, that it's going to be really hard and, that, and, and yeah. it piles on top of piles. If somebody turns and says, you know what, you're probably not going to be an Olympic runner because, or you're probably not going to be able to be a doctor because, you're probably not going to find somebody that really loves you because... You know, marriages don't always work out, so be ready. And then you look around and tell two out of three cousins have had divorces. 
all of those confirmations are negatives, we adopt quickly because they keep us safe. Because everything else would require us to break the norm and be the exception. So we would rather be confirmed small than try and go big. I've been dealing with this my whole life, this bullshit, this, uh, you're not going to be a hockey player because it's a one in a million chance. You're not going to be able to do this because it's impossible to get in. You're not going to be able to start a podcast because there's millions of them. Like I've listened to this shit my whole life and I've realized that it's all bullshit. It is. It's like, and the people that said you're not going to make it to the NHL one in a million, you know who the people who they thought were going to make it didn't make it. And then the kids that were the ones that just believed made it the kids that that's the whole point is that anything is attainable. If you just believe and you just, you just consistently, if you want it, you have to have the aligned actions and you have to like, well, and I sort of joke, if somebody turns and says you have a one in a million chance, I'm like, good. There's 7 billion people on the planet. So that means I now have a, like 700 billion. Like yeah. if you're saying that odds are one in a million, then you're telling me that one person broke through. Yeah. And now I just got to figure out what that one person did and then do as much or as of it as I can and realize that there's still 6 billion nine. 199 million people that they have to go through before they get to the next one in a million. And that yeah. one can be me. Well, it's, it's just like everything that is every, everything that is worth doing, people are going to say it's impossible to do. Like, it's like, I've realized that if you want to be a doctor, Oh, that's, there's too, it's impossible. You want to do this. It's too hard. It's like, everybody but, has an answer for this stuff. It's like, but if you would sort of move into the whole metaphysical think and grow rich those kind of thought people they would say if you've already conceived the idea then it's completely possible the thing is you're missing the vehicle to arrive at it yeah when man said i want to fly the only thing missing was the vehicle which was solved by the wright brothers when man said i want to go to the moon the missing vehicle was the space um, rocket when you said i want to create a podcast the only thing that was missing Whereas the vehicle of the mic and the airwaves and the place to put it. Yeah. If you know, if you can see it, hear it, think it, whatever you want to call it, eliminate the possibility and say, okay, the only thing that's really missing is the vehicle that I'm going to arrive at that place in. Mm. And everybody chooses a different vehicle. I'm not a motorcycle rider, but there are motorcycle riders all around me. There are plane flyers and boat drivers and walkers and bikers all showing up at the same place through their choice of vehicle. The thing is, we've all said we're going game and we're going to be there at seven o'clock and how you get there is up to you. So yeah, I'd love to, to dive into that a bit more with, with maybe that you work with your clients. So, you know, I've had lots of visions. I've set lots of goals, but a lot of them haven't come true, right? Can you maybe walk us through a way that, a good way to set goals so that, maybe that vehicle, we can actually solidify that vehicle a little bit better. Like, is there, do you have a process? Um, so a lot of times when I meet with somebody, they say, I have a goal of reaching a million people on my podcast. I'm like, okay, whoopee. Yeah. Why? Because I want a million people. I'm like, okay, I get what we want to look like, but why do we want to go there? And if mm-hmm. they can't tell me the why, then they're never going to achieve at the goal because they've just picked something that looks good on a vision board in their office. Mm. If they say, well, I will know that if I reach a million people with this story, with this thing that I'm doing, I will impact and transform lives. And by impacting and transform lives, I'll make the world around me better. And by making the world around me better, I will bring peace and kindness to lonely kids that were sitting on the sidelines through hockey practice after hockey practice, just wanting a chance. Mm. Now I'm like, okay, so really what you want to do is connect to kids that are lost or lonely. And you really identify with kids that are in sports. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, so is it still important to reach a million? Well, not so much now. Okay, now the goal is how do I connect to kids that are in sports that are feeling like they're sidelined. 
let's figure out the vehicle to start that. Mm. So it's not that we've changed the goal, but the goal that they came up with was so externally driven, like a million people. What is a million people? Like, what does that, like, why? Mm. But if you tell me because the message, the thing that I'm doing will have this kind of impact to me and to others, then you only need to do that to one kid. And then another kid and another kid. And so how do we do that? And what I see often is when people pull that down, when they go through that process of really getting into it and then jump in the vehicle, so to speak, their momentum accelerates because they're like, this is what I wanted to do. I didn't want a million followers. I wanted a podcast that talked to people like this to make this kind of impact. And now they're coming towards me and my energy, like it all starts to move into alignment. Mm. but often we're out of a line with our goals because we're not stating them clearly. We're not stating them authentically. We're writing them in a way that if somebody would walk into our office and see it, they would go, good for you, manly goal. Mm. So what'd you say it is in like a way that like obviously present tense, like you've already, you've already achieved it, right? Um, there's a whole lot of, mind game play with that, that if you speak it in the present tense, your brain doesn't know reality from false. And so let's say if you, one of your goals is to be able to drive a Porsche or own a Porsche and you think of it and you see yourself behind the steering wheel and you're holding it and you're really good at visualizing it. And you're like, man, my red Porsche, it's a beautiful sunny day. The top is down. Your brain is like, oh, we've got the Porsche next. But if you shift and see yourself sitting maybe in the passenger seat, looking at you driving the Porsche, then it's almost like, oh, I'm not there yet. I'm here and I want to go there. Or at the empty seat. Then you're like, I need to still achieve this goal. So you have to be careful with how you visualize things. Because again, if you're good at it, the brain doesn't know the reality versus the visualization. And so then it doesn't know what we're working on. But if you visualize the feeling of success and empowerment and confidence, and you start to visualize that feeling, and you then step into the world as a confident, successful, driven person, then the Porsche will be a natural outcome as long as that's driven into the vehicle of your goals or your business or your change. Do you think a lot of people shut that off though? They turn the tap on because they put too much, like they almost resist what, they're gonna, what they want? Do you notice that? And that goes back to, so visualization is mindset. But I can sit here and visualize myself with a set of wings. If I don't believe genetically I can grow wings, then I'm in disconnect. So it comes down to belief again. Yeah. So it's like, you know what? I'm worthy of a fancy red, you know, Porsche. There is no reason that my, there is no reason in the universe that I shouldn't receive it. The thing is, if I don't believe I'm worthy of it, and that's a big piece, worthy is like the big cover and umbrella. If I don't believe I'm worthy of it, then why am I visualizing it? Mm. But if I believe I'm worthy of it, then whatever I visualize, so shall be. And so that's where, from a Christian philosophy, you know, asking you shall receive, asking from here versus asking from heart are two different places. Mm. Interesting. So it's your more of like your 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 soul versus your ego, so to speak. If and again, a, a a bigger break is your ego can't exist if you're speaking from your soul, because mm-hmm. your ego is to serve and protect your current state. Yeah, and your soul doesn't really necessarily recognize the current state because it is non-conditional because it's already connected to your higher self oh wow (laughs) (laughs) i know it's It's a whole lot to take in on an afternoon i I love it it? i love it it's uh, this is why i i have such a life people laugh it's like how much like how much time do you spend studying it's like i kind of gave up tv and everything because when I started to adopt this thinking, I was like, this can't be real. And I'd read another book and another book. And I realized they were all saying a lot of the same yeah. things in different ways. And I was like, okay, if five people are saying this, then there has to be some consensus. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the most successful people in the world practicing it, it's like, okay, well, who's right? Them or the, my friend, the naysayer that says it's not, <laughs> like it's yeah. stupid. One of my litmus tests is always, have you read Think and Grow Rich? And if somebody's like, no, never heard of it. I'm like, okay, pretty much I'm going to listen to you, but I'm not going to base my beliefs on what you say. If somebody's like, yeah, I, pretty, I think I read it twice a year. I'm like, you're somebody I know. And I can see why your success is sustainable because you're continually creating and visualizing and practicing and being disciplined about it. Yeah. What, so talks about um, success life radio. <laughs> so Talk success, about that. it really started very much like you and I. Um, this conversation is, as a dad and as a man, I felt like we had this really bad, stinky label of what being successful in those roles would look like. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to be that anymore. When I was walking out the door and my son turned and started to ask me a question like, hey, dad, will you be? And he stopped. I'm like, what? And he's like, never mind. You'll probably got to work anyhow. And I got in the car and it was like literally almost all the way to work. And I was like, he doesn't think I'm available. Like, that's what I felt with my dad, that he was never available for me. Like he wasn't interested in me and my life. He was, he was a great and a loving man, but the way he showed it was going to work every day. I mean, I tease that I'm still waiting now in my late fifties to hear my dad tell me he loves me. He has, but it's just not a, it's an awkward conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and so now, and when I heard that, I said, I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't do this to my kid. I've got to break this cycle. And so a big part of success life was really teaching people how to break that cycle, how to begin to shift their sense of success into what it really should be and how to manage and master that, that transition mm. and then how to maintain it. Because there are days I really love to go back to corporate America where I get up at seven o'clock, I'm out of the house before the kids wake up. I get to put on my suit and tie and sit with adults and have adult conversations and then come home, eat dinner and go to bed. Kind of, you know, that simple, easy predictability. But when my kids come home and I'm able to take a half day off and go do something with them, then I'm like, okay, let's keep it in check. Yeah, no, for sure. And so yeah. Success Life and Success Life Radio was really redefining the idea of what success is. Amazing. Where, how can people find you? All things social media, at Eric G. Reed. The G is in there because there's an American football player, Eric Reed, and I just, yeah, I can't out-Google him. <laughs> uh, so I tossed in the G, and suddenly I show up everywhere. So Eric G. Reed, and that's the website and email and things like that. Awesome. Well, this has been a lot of fun. It has. I really it appreciate has. it. You got a good, uh, good perspective, and... Yeah, I, I learn from everybody I talk to. You know, I talk to a lot of people and every single day I learn something. So, you know. Isn't that the, I mean, and that's where I really encourage people to always be involved in listening to other people's podcasts, being on them, because that's what we really want to do as humans is connect with new ideas and new people. And so mm -hmm. you're doing a great job through your podcast of helping people connect. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I inspire the world through human connection. That's sort of what I, my sort of thing that I, I, I love, in, I love inspiring people. I've been inspired by so many people and I'll have to give back the best way I can. And for, for me so far, this has been a good tool for that, a good vehicle. So um, you've adopted with, the language, the vehicle. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I, I, I really liked what you said earlier as well about, um, I've become more aware of my language about when I say, Oh, I wish I could do this. I, instead of I can do that, or I want to do that. I, I know exactly what you mean because so many people, especially after doing a lot of this personal development, a lot of mindset stuff, I, I go and I hear people talk or even just friends or acquaintances in their language, they speak. And I say, well, no wonder. I mean, listen to how you're talking. Like, listen to what you're saying. You're literally saying that, that it's not possible. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Right? The least you can do is change your language. You and know? The, bit, the easiest way to change it is to turn everything sort of in, 
the opposite question. Like when you say, I wish I could go to Disneyland for Christmas, instead say, how could I fulfill my wish of going to Disneyland for Christmas? Yeah. And just put that, how could I, or what do I need to fulfill my wish to go? And pretty soon you'll be like, oh, now I'm looking at the, the opportunity is possible. I just need to figure out the thing that's missing from it. Mm. The desire is there. The vehicle is missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. Our language is so important, how we speak. And we need to be conscious of it. Very. It's, Especially when we, I, I say as parents and, and influencers, our kids are listening yeah. and very intently. Mm-hmm. Well, for our last question, what is one lesson that adversity has taught you? That adversity is temporary. And it's really not based on other people's timeline. It's often based on mine. So when something happens, I, you know, people are like, you recover so quick. It's like, well, it's not going to happen on its own. And if I want to sit there under this rock all day, that's my choice, but I'd rather get it off me and getting moving forward. So adversity is only temporary and the timeline for how long is up to me. Awesome. Love it. All right, man. Thank you very much, Eric. That was great. Um, Everybody check out Eric G. Reed on all social media. Check out his website. We'll have everything in the show notes. Again, thanks very much, man. Thank you for having me. This was great fun. Yeah, it was was awesome. Pleasure's all mine. I'm sure everybody loved it. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, seeing what what else you create in in the world and, and, and all that good stuff. So we'll stay connected for sure. Eric G Reed, everybody. Thanks everybody. Check out Eric G Reed, all social media platforms is Eric G Reed. It'll be in the show notes as well. So hope you guys got value from that. I had a lot of fun in that conversation. Love you guys. Appreciate you. We'll catch you next time. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.